0: And I think that's why my parents came here. You know, they felt you come to this country, you work hard, you take advantage of the foundation you can get, and you can do whatever you want. You know, no one cares in a startup where you're from. You know, no one cares what you did before. No one cares what your last name is. Uh, They care what your impact is. And to me, that's really powerful. It's what created Silicon Valley, why people from all over the world have come to Silicon Valley, because it doesn't matter where you're from. It's what you're building. and and what you're creating. So I think it's very parallel to the immigrant experience in, in so many ways.
1: Hey everyone, this is Jay.
2: And this is Angie.
1: And welcome to another episode of Across the Lines a place where we have candid and vulnerable conversations with Pan-Asian American leaders about identity, work, and the confluence of the two.
2: Join us on a journey to amplify their voices, humanize their achievements, and share their wisdom. Whether you're looking for advice or just want to hear leaders who've been there and done that, share their personal and professional stories, you've come to the right place. Today, we're excited to speak with Ajay Agarwal, partner at Bain Capital Ventures, where he heads up the firm's West Coast office. He has led investments in companies like Gainsight, which was acquired by Vista, Query, and SendGrid, which was acquired by Twilio. Prior to BCV, Ajay led product and sales as an early employee at Trilogy Software, where he grew annual revenues to $300 million.
1: In this episode, we speak with Ajay about how the entrepreneurial journey of creating something from nothing is analogous to the immigrant experience, the parallels between his experience delivering newspapers while growing up in Pittsburgh and his early career in enterprise sales, and why he believes startups are a vehicle for rekindling the American dream through more equal opportunity. So Ajay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. One way that we like to start off uh, each of our episodes is by asking our guests what their favorite food was growing up. What was that for you, Ajay?
0: Uh, That's easy. My favorite food growing up was pizza. We would go to uh, Pizza Hut once a week. My parents were vegetarian, so Pizza Hut and Taco Bell were, were sort of the only two restaurants we could go to as a family. And so we, once a week, we either go to Pizza Hut or Taco Bell, but the uh, excursions of Pizza Hut, getting that one of those pan pizzas, which were new at the time. And that was the big innovation, which was pizza cooked with a lot of oil on a pan (laughs) instead of just baked, you know, those days, for some odd reason, you went to the pizza place, you didn't have it delivered, you know, to your house. So we would go to Pizza Hut and we used to look forward to that. All week,
1: I would probably say the same thing. I would be at Taco Bell every other day for some reason, and eat the chalupas and Mexican pizzas. What was your What was your order of choice? Oh about? man,
0: I have to say the nachos. You know, with 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 beans and cheese and all the other stuff. And so, you know, years later, post college, I I spent a couple of years in in consulting, and one of my clients was Taco Bell. And when I actually learned how all the food was made, you know, I couldn't believe how much Taco Bell I'd consumed in my lifetime but uh, certainly growing up, it was great. Uh, I loved
2: it. It's definitely a comfort food. Yes. And Jay, so you were born in the UK, in Wales, if I remember correctly, and you grew up in Pittsburgh. So your family moved to the US when you were younger. Could you talk to us about that upbringing and what was it like growing up in an environment where I'm assuming there weren't a ton of people around you who looked like you or shared your culture?
0: It, it was probably not dissimilar from what you know the experience of a lot of immigrants you know my parents migrated from india to to the united kingdom and then ultimately to, to the united states really in pursuit of you know the american dream which is, certainly is a, an ideal that we haven't yet achieved in this country but i think at least the ideal is what got them here that anyone could get a great education and could use that education to make their way in the world and so they moved halfway around the world to come to the united states to give their kids, you know, a, a, a chance at better education and, and a better future. And so they came to Pittsburgh and, you know, a lot of the experiences of first generation South Asian immigrants, there's a, a scene I love in, you know, the movie, The Namesake, where, you know, the mom is, takes out, I think it was Rice Krispies and, and puts it into a bowl and finds it to be totally bland. And, and I think she goes in the cupboard and gets some you know, red chili powder and turmeric and all of a sudden it becomes, you know, the Indian street food called bale and and starts eating it. And and that's, I can relate to that. My parents had up until that point spent their entire lives, you know, pretty much their entire lives in India. And so the, the food, the culture, how they dressed, you know, all of that was based on their upbringing. And yet, you know, being in school, you know, I was exposed, my sisters were exposed to Classic, you know, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania suburban culture, which is very different than how my parents grew up, and so you know it was a process of discovery and adaptation, and all of that comes with being an immigrant and moving to a foreign land. So yeah, some some fun stories, some you know all, all the usual stuff. I'm sure lots of people, whether you're South Asian or uh, you're Italian or you're Mexican, you know that you come to this country and experience.
2: I think that's something so beautiful about the immigrant experience, agnostic of where you came to the U.S. from, right? To your point, you'd come from India, you'd come from Italy, but you'd still share, I'd say, like these two things in common, which is one, some aspect of your previous home culture being manifested in certain ways, but also being raised in an environment where you grew up in a school system where these Western values were taught, and it was very much the American narrative. Could you talk to us about kind of reconciling those two things while you're growing up, right? Was there a strong influence from your Indian upbringing throughout your childhood, or was it more so you felt the a strong urge to more so assimilate than really adopt that cultural heritage?
0: You know, I think it was, a, it was clearly a bit of both. I mean, I think that, you know, in my upbringing, you know, the aspects of being an immigrant were, were clearly there. And I think, you know, the, the, dynamic of being an immigrant, whether, again, pick your ethnicity, it doesn't matter. You come to this country for a reason. You, you come to this country because you want your kids to have a better life. And, and, you know, as a kid, you're aware of that. You're aware that your parents uprooted and left the comfort of their family and community and made sacrifices so that you you know, have this opportunity. And so I think it was not like my parents were explicit about that, you know, but you could, you, you, you sense a feeling of like, I don't want to squander this. I'm extraordinarily lucky to be growing up in the United States and so I want to take advantage of it. And so I think that's why you see in the immigrant communities, whatever, again, it doesn't matter where you're from, this drive and, and this desire to succeed because of the sacrifices of the prior generations that resulted in in you being born or, or being raised in in, in this country. So I think that part clearly was there throughout the childhood, our childhood. My parents did a really nice job of preserving many aspects of, of our Indian cultural identity and South Asian cultural identity. And whether that's, you know, the food, which uh, other than our, our night at Taco Bell and pizza, you know, we ate, we ate traditional, North Indian um, cuisine, you know, dal, th- roti, some kind of vegetables, all vegetarian. We celebrated the major holidays. There was a, a small South Asian community growing in Pittsburgh at the time, and there was a Hindu temple uh, that got built, and that that became almost a cultural community center for this, you know, the, the, these immigrant families. You know, I think my parents wanted to make sure we... We're aware of the great epics in South Asian culture. Just like growing up in this country, certainly going to college in this country, you read, you know, the Odyssey and, and the Iliad, the great epics of of Greek culture. You know, the Mahabharata and and the Ramayana are the equivalents in Hindu culture. And and you know, my parents want us to read those and and be aware of that side of our you know, our identity. But at the same time, I think my parents recognized when they came to this country that one of the, you know, magical things about the United States is this notion of a melting pot. And people don't talk about melting pot as much these days as they did when, when I got here. But this idea that, that each of these unique cultures and identities you know, come together. What is American culture other than this amalgamation? you know, of these different cultures and, and ethnicities. And so we watched football growing up. I was a diehard Steeler fan. You know, we ate pizza. <laughs> My dad would throw football around in the backyard. You know, all those things. I mean, you know, I was in the Cub Scouts and a lot of the sort of classic, quote unquote, American, you know, apple pie traditions we used to do as well. So, and I think that's the beauty of, you know, the United States where you get to hopefully, you know, the freedom to continue to pursue the traditions that are important to you from wherever you're from and whatever you believe in. But you also have the opportunity to participate in this melting pot of traditions that represent, you know, America. Now, I think the country, when I grew up, is was a lot less divided than it is today. You know, we, the whole country watched the same three channels, you know, and and everyone in the whole country tuned in to see who shot jr on on the, on the final episode of dallas and and so there was a shared experience in this country back then that extended across states across socioeconomic lines and divisions and i think it made it easier frankly to 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 feel a connection to america and and feel this desire to want to assimilate while maintaining you know those, those traditions. So you know I think it's a I don't know what it would be like today to come as an immigrant or to grow up in this country whether you're an immigrant or not and feel like an outsider because the country is more divided, less of a feeling of, of what America represents.
1: So Jay, one of the one of the things you mentioned there was the different cultures that you grew up in and how it was Indian at home, it was also watching football and eating apple pie with your friends and mm-hmm. and kind of like the, the combination of the two. One thing I'd be curious about is do you remember any of those Indian epics that you were being taught as a child? And, and have any of those stuck with you today and, and kind of led to any like lessons or things that you still think about?
0: Yeah, this idea that, you know, for, for, for folks who are listening that, that have not read the Mahabharata, there's a famous scene, you know, and, and the premise of the Mahabharata is you have two groups of cousins that are basically at war. And, and so in that sense, it, it parallels the Iliad. It's essentially a, an epic based on war. One of the main protagonists is about to go fight and, and kill his flesh and blood, you know, his cousins on the other side. And, and his charioteer, is a manifestation of God, a spiritual character, uh, Krishna, who's his charioteer. And they end up having a conversation. Um, They have a conversation about essentially the meaning of life, you know, and that whole conversation becomes its own book uh, called the Bhagavad Gita, which is almost sort of a philosophical underpinning of of Hinduism. And whether you're Hindu or not, you know, a lot of these ideas and, and philosophies, I think, are captured and represented in lots of religions. You know, I think that These ideas, you know, you're you're, you have a duty or a journey that you're on, and you've got to enjoy that journey and fulfill that journey, and you can't worry too much and be focused on on the fruits of your labor or the sort of end outcome of your actions. You've got to embrace the journey itself. I think that idea, which you know, is one that I think lots of people talk about. You know, trace at least my understanding of it traces back to those discussions with my parents way back when, and reading about that story. And, and so, to me, it boils down to finding something you love, doing it because you love it, not doing it because you're trying to get to some outcome. And when you do that, the outcomes you want will come. But the important thing is doing something you love with people you you love doing it with. And I think that's been a good simple set of guideposts for me in terms of various choices i've made in, in my personal and professional life.
1: I love that. Thank you for sharing. I was reflecting as you were speaking about that on my own nanny, like my uh, my grandma and, and she would always she would always say in hindi like focus on the intention not the outcome. And and it kind of goes on a very similar concept to what you were sharing is like just focus on the day-to-day processes and don't focus so much on like what the outcome is and thank you so much for sharing that. Jay, we spoke to uh, Harpal, who's a mutual friend and connection of ours, and he asked us to ask you about your early paper routes growing up in Pittsburgh. Can you tell us more about what that paper route journey was like? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was pretty miserable, to be honest. And so,
0: I mean, you know, in, in snow and rain and cold, you know, going out and, and delivering the papers, carrying them in a rucksack on your shoulder. And, you know, in those days, there was no PayPal or Venmo. And so the the hardest part of the job is you had to, you know, at the end of each week, go to each house and collect $3.50. And people had chains they didn't have chains. They weren't home. You had to go back. The world of embedded fintech did not exist back then. (laughs) And so otherwise, it would have been all easy. I could have done it by an app, you know, from the comfort of my home. You know, so the delivery part wasn't so bad. It was certainly the collections part. That um, presented challenges, and back then podcasts didn't exist either, and, and AirPods and all all this great stuff. I mean, if I could have listened to, you know, Audible while in, or or a great podcast while delivering, it would have been so much so much better. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think these are all good experiences. Just the responsibility of you've got to go do this every day. Doesn't matter. You can't not do it. You know, and that responsibility and obligation, yeah, I think it was important. and it it gives you a lot of empathy and respect for folks who've got jobs that they have to do every day, you know and and they don't have a choice. And that was what the paper route was was for me. So yeah, I, you know, I think formative for sure in a lot of respects.
2: paper routes are almost analogous to the early days of enterprise sales, <laughs> right? Where right. you have an obligation, you have your duty. There's rain, there's snow, but you just have to keep trudging on and go around selling your probably your like physical software product to all these households, trying to collect cash from all of them. You know, like quote to cash process is a pain. So it's funny how uh, this this process is manifested in different parts of your career, right? Exactly. And on that. I'd love to hear about the beginnings of your career uh, in consulting. And then you actually kicked off your career in enterprise sales. Um, could you tell us a bit about what that was like? Being a salesperson, an Asian American salesperson in the late nineties, right? When the internet was starting to kick off. Could you talk to us about that experience?
0: Yeah. I mean, Trilogy was a great experience. You know, I, the founder of Trilogy and I had done a startup in college and that was my first exposure to business software a long time ago now. And met Joe in, in, in my sophomore year, and here I am a long time later and still doing business software. And so, it, you know, I feel fortunate that I met Joe when I did, and I got into this industry when I did. And so Joe dropped out and, and I decided not to drop out and finished up, went to consulting. And then I joined him a few years later at Trilogy's employee 18. And I remember showing up down in Austin, Texas. And the day I got there, you know, I was told to go to Home Depot, buy a table and then go to the computer store and buy a computer. So I did all that. And then I I was given a list of companies and I was told, sell our software to those companies. Um, And (laughs) there was no, you know, we were 18 person companies. There's no sales training. You know, there was no infrastructure of sales managers or anything like that. Literally I had a a desk a phone and a laptop so I just started calling and I called my my first list of companies were companies that sold office furniture so steelcase Herman Miller Knoll corporation uh, they were all up in Michigan and I would just call and I'd call around and try and get somebody who hear the pitch and I finally got somebody after a few days of calling and he said he'd love to meet so then I you know, called up Joe and I said, you know, is there a travel department or coming from consulting, you know, you sort of have to get everything approved. I assume someone's going to come with me on the sales call. And he said, no, buy a plane ticket, go to Michigan and sell some software. And that was it. So I literally got that plane ticket, went up there and tried my best to sell software. I was unsuccessful. I ultimately never sold anything to Herman Miller, Steelcase uh, or any of those others, but... You know, it was, it was trial by fire, it dive in and, and go do it. And that was, you know, the culture of, of Trilogy. I mean, Joe believed in hiring primarily straight from college folks like me who had no experience and just throwing them in and saying, go figure it out. And so, you know, eventually, like most things, you, you do it enough that you know, through a lot of hard knocks, you know, you eventually figure it out. But the first time you've done it, it's a scary thing you know, to pick up the phone and call somebody and get rejected over and over and over again. And so, you know, sales oftentimes is this viewed as certainly in the, I would say, in the South Asian community, for for whatever reason, perhaps looked down upon a bit relative to being a doctor or a lawyer, you know, or an engineer or a professor. But it's such an important skill in life, you know, which is, and, and, and sales is not even the right word for it. You know, I think the right word for it is, You know, it's building a relationship. It's creating a human connection. And through that relationship, hopefully understanding a bit about what that person's hopes and dreams are, what they're, you know, how are they going to be successful in their job? And to the extent you can line up your product or service in a way that helps them be successful. You know, you've helped out another human being, you've made a human connection. And by the way, you've made some money you know, along the way. And that, I think that's what sales is, is really all about. That's what I learned way back when. And I, I think that human connection piece is really at the heart of what sales is all about and relationship building. And, and I think it's an important, you know, invaluable skill. And so, I, you know, I took, took a lot from my eight years of trilogy on how to build, you know, fast growth startup, how to build great products, how to sell and, and, and create a win-win with your customer and, And your company, but certainly the sales aspect for me was one of the most valuable, you know, set of set of things I I got out of that
1: experience. I I love the the mix of the sales skills and the relationship building skills and how that assumingly has really helped you even get to your place in your career right now. Um, I don't know if you've thought about this consciously, but at least for me, like growing up in an Indian household, I would always have like family over friends over my dad would be making drinks for everybody. Like I, I, I think I learned more relationship skills, like as like an eight year old as like an Indian boy oh in that household. Right. And, and then and, and kind of like matching those two things together. I want to fast forward to where you are today, and what you're up to right now at being Capital Ventures, and also kind of tying these things together. How do you think that your Indian American upbringing has ended up impacting your company building mentality or your leadership style?
0: I feel very fortunate to be here at Bain Capital Ventures. I, I work with a you know really special group of partners and and teammates. You know we um, we have the privilege of working with just an incredible group of founders, including Harpal uh, and many others. And so I, I feel lucky that I, I get to do this and um, I get to work with the people that I get to work with. You know, I think in terms of how it's affected you know my style and and my approach. I am conscious of. You know, the many gifts uh, and 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 fortune that I've had, the community I grew up in, the you know, educational foundation that I got, the focus my parents had on, on their kids. They moved halfway around the world for their kids. Not everyone has has those same benefits. It's important to me, and I think it's important to the founders that I work with and the companies that I'm affiliated with, that they feel a sense of uh, sort of a mission to not only build their company, but to improve the communities that they're a part of uh, and, and to create opportunity. Um, that, that to me is the exciting thing about startups is that you're creating something out of nothing. You're creating jobs. And, and oftentimes those jobs require more hustle than anything. They, they require heart and hustle, you know, and, and, and I think it really opens up the opportunity set to a broader group of people. Now, I think there's a lot of, lot of work to be done on this front uh, and clearly, we have a long way to go in, in Silicon Valley in terms of creating that opportunity. But the beauty of startups is that you know, the really good ones are, are much closer to a meritocracy than I, I think most other organizations or institutions or societies. And that appeals to me, that notion that you can join a startup and you could be the CEO someday through your own hard work and impact. And I think that's why my parents came here. You know, they felt you come to this country, you work hard, you take advantage of the foundation you can get and you can do whatever you want. And again, I think that American dream needs some work and we're not there in terms of that aspiration, but I think startups very much bear those same things. Again, not not quite there, but certainly in the right direction uh, aspirationally. And so to me, that's really appealing. You know, no one cares in a startup where you're from, you know, no one cares what you did before. No one cares what your last name is. Uh, they care what your impact is, and to me, that's really powerful. It's what created Silicon Valley. Why people from all over the world have come to Silicon Valley because it doesn't matter where you're from. It's what you're building and and what you're creating. So. I think it's very parallel to the immigrant experience in, in so many ways. And so I love it. I enjoy it. I, I feel fortunate I get to do it. It's a ton of fun to be part of company building and be a partner with so many founders on, on this incredible journey.
2: That's such an incredible and a beautiful parallel. You just drew there, Jay, between startups and this underpinning of the American dream right? And what it means to be a company builder and what it means to uproot your life and come to the United States and build a new life for yourself and your family. There's just so many beautiful parallels there. And at the root of it, it's about impact and opportunity. And you alluded to this a bit, but especially now in this divided environment you're in, there's almost a bit of an erosion of the American dream of sorts. And I'm curious for you, since you're in a position where you can allocate the capital to be able to build this vision of what the American dream can look like, what are some ways in your work in which you hope to almost in a way rekindle the American dream a bit to create that opportunity for people to make impact regardless of what their last name is or where they came from?
0: You know, one organization that I want to make sure I mention is is an organization I've been involved with for over a decade, and it's called BUILD, buil and it's started by an amazing entrepreneur, Suzanne mckechnie Clark. It's now run by incredible CEO, Ayele Shakur. And 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 the concept of BUILD, you know, I think is very much along the lines of everything we've talked about today is, is this idea that we have a set of students, high school students in this country that don't have the same opportunity. Their communities and their schools are not providing the same opportunity in in many of these disadvantaged communities as in other communities. And how do we try and address that gap, that opportunity gap that exists out there? And, 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 And BUILD is one of many organizations that I think is trying to address it. In BUILD's case, they do it through entrepreneurship. They run a program where students you know, in these communities can attend a four-year build program and literally start a business and run a business and, and get up on stage at you know, Stanford Business School and present their business plan, get startup capital to fund their business. And through the process of building and running their business, learning you know, life skills, you know, learning how to manage a P&L, how to organize and present a business plan and, and share a, a PowerPoint presentation, and more importantly, the process of building these companies just cr- creates a sense of energy in these students. They want to come to school because they, they, they can't participate in Build unless they're coming to school and achieving the goals required to graduate, go hand in hand with Build. And, and so you know IELA talks about you know, this broader notion of an equal opportunity initiative. That's what we're trying to promote is a country where no matter where you grow up, no matter the color of your skin you have that equal opportunity. And again, we're we're far away from that. But you know, I believe startups are a vehicle, potentially help along the way. And and that's why for me, build resonates so much because it, it leverages the power of entrepreneurship as a way to promote you know, this equal opportunity. And so this is something I'm passionate about
1: I love that, OJ. And again, just, it's, it's it's been awesome to understand a little bit more about your your life story. And and more times than not, you end up seeing, obviously, how they impact some early childhood, your parents end up impacting the type, types of work that you do, if we're privileged enough to be able to do that. And, and, and it's really nice to see that happening for you with Build and also with BCV. Really quick uh, lightning round here. We'd love to ask <laughs> our guest, what's one piece of advice that you would give either yourself when you were coming up, in your career or in your life, or maybe something that you did really well um, that led to your success personally or professionally. If that were to come up top of mind for you, what would that be?
0: You know, I think the single biggest thing that I think about and I give advice to other folks on is focus on the people. You know, no matter what you're doing, whether it's a small initiative, a big initiative, joining a company, joining an organization, to me that almost the only criteria that matters Are the people. And, you know, we we used to joke that the group of us in the early days of Trilogy, we could have been doing anything. You know, we happen to be selling enterprise software, but I I think we could have been doing almost anything. You know, in that group of people, we would have had, you know, the time of our life. And, And so I think that is the most important thing. We're human beings, we thrive on relationships and connections. And the, the people that I've seen in, 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 in the world that lean in to the humanness of their work, lean into the connections and the relationships of their work, those are the happiest people on the planet. And so we, we, do, we do better things when we do it together. We have more fun when we do it together. Uh, we each are better individually when we're around great people and, and can achieve more as a group. I think that's what it's all about. Like none of us want to be successful and lonely, you know, on our own, you know, we want to be part of a team. We want to be part of an organization and we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's, I think the best startups do a great job of creating that dynamic. So that's my single big, biggest piece of advice. And the times I've followed that have worked out well and the times I've ignored it, I've you know, learned my lesson
2: that's literally the core of why Jay and I are so excited and passionate about this project where we get to work as a power team. We get to t- talk to amazing folks like you, who we get introduced to you through our connections and our networks. Right. And it's all about the people. It's all about the people, at the core of it. I think that's such a, a beautiful way to wrap this up. So thank you so much again, Ajay. This has been such a fun conversation and we really appreciate you taking the time.
0: Thank you. So it's, it's a lot of fun trip down memory lane for me and <laughs> lots of old stories. And, uh, you guys have created a great series, and great lineup and, and best of luck with, with the podcast.
2: Thanks so much for tuning in to Cross the Lines with your hosts, Angie and Jay. If you enjoyed today's conversation about the intersection of work and Asian American identity, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to spread the word. We'd really appreciate it.
1: And as always, you can head over to acrossthelinespodcast.com to learn more about the show, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.